Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And I have a really special guest today on our podcast. Bridget is a osteopathic manual practitioner, and she is also now in school to become a registered massage therapist. So I've got some real, you know, I really want to know why you decided to go into healthcare in the first place, because a lot of things that we talk about on our podcast is about people, is about their stories. That, that stuff always interests me because everyone gets into this type of field for whatever reason. And then I'm also really curious why the move into RMT, because I've noticed a trend that is the opposite. It's the RMT that then goes to get their diploma and osteopathic manual practitioner so thanks for hanging out with us let's start here let's start with tell us a little bit about yourself and uh what you do as an osteo at your place of work um so i offer passive therapy often a mix of joint mobilization muscle energy techniques and soft tissue therapy what were you doing before you uh started this were you always in the healthcare field um before all this i was just working at a bank um i was just in a call center it wasn't for me that's for sure it was very fast paced and when i started to consider more what i wanted to do for a long period of time something in the healthcare industry seemed appropriate and i kind of moved forward from there i looked at nursing for a while it seemed like a lot of demand it seemed like perhaps like a repeat of going through the same motions of you know listening to what someone else wanted to say and not having the authority to make the judgment call based on what i thought was right so finding out that I could be self-employed in a different profession and then seeing that my friend was already doing something along the lines of osteopathy seemed fitting. How far were you into doing the osteopathic manual practitioner stuff before you decided, hey, I, wa- I-, I want to go to RMT school? Uh, about six months. Yeah. Um, I already really enjoyed doing soft tissue with my current clients. Yeah. And um, I'd met some RMTs that really inspired me along the way. And I wanted to see more it was what was it was about. What did you find inspiring? Um, I just found that, you know, some registered massage therapists really kind of blew me away. I had no idea how many of them were so passionate and how many of them, I don't know, really stood out among the crowd and really offered such an amazing treatment. Some of the uh, teacher's assistants at my schools were also RMTs that inspired me. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so now you are training to become an RMT. How far into your program are you at right now? Um, about a year and a half. Right on. So mm-hmm. you're you're pretty. What are you? How much? Are, you got what? Maybe half a year left. Yeah. Just how long have you been in student clinic and stuff? Um, it's been about six months now. So do you find that you bring in some of your osteo training into student clinic? Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Is there any blowback on uh, your like clinic supervisors for that kind of stuff? <laughs> um, I definitely have had supervisors tell me that you know when you're here, it's massage. Yeah. Um, But I do believe heavily in the philosophy of osteopathy. So I think if joint mobilization is within the scope of practice, it's definitely appropriate for me to use my massage skills as I see. Yeah, yeah. Tell me a little bit more about the philosophy. Um, So it's really similar to other forms of body work. Um, I think it's just a little bit more deeply seated in the founder as opposed to what I'm learning with massage. So far of the history of massage, it seems a lot like a lot of different sources. And it seems like when it got regulated, they kind of just piled it in all the way back to like Sigmund Freud and him massaging um, people for psychotherapy and um, back to like 
apocrisies and their like original influences. Um, whereas osteopathy really dives into Andrew Still, the founder, um, and his tenants and him really strongly believing that structure governs function. And if you maintain the structure, all will be well. And that inherent relationship for structure and function to work together is infallible and will continue no matter what and restoring that. So while a lot of uh, um, modalities do believe in that, osteopathy kind of, I guess, is situated very firmly in that. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to the blowback that you probably get from some of your supervisors and instructors. When you came into the program and they knew of the education that you had before, did they look at you differently? Hmm. I would say definitely. I would say that osteopathy is getting its roots. And now that people are starting to hear about that, I wonder, I don't know, I would say that there's probably a little bit of competition there, different yeah, perceptions there. So depending on the person, I think some instructors are like, oh, wow, that's super cool. And then others are like, oh. What was the O? Was the, <laughs> was the O more like, oh, so potentially you know more than me about this stuff? Mm -hmm. Or was it the O more like, Oh, you unregulated profession person <laughs> now now wanting to get into this. Um, I did have one instructor. I said, oh, you know, well, I really want it regulated. Um, that's something that I would like to see for osteopathy. And they kind of said, <laughs> yeah, it needs to be regulated bad. <laughs> and I kind of thought, okay, well, you know, I think there's good and bad to regulation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that we're definitely doing great without regulation so far. What do, so. What, do you know what your instructor meant by like, oh, you need it badly? What was hmm. what, what what was your instructor implying there, or what did you think that yeah, they were implying there? I, I think that she's implying that um, you know regulation, you know, and she did say regulation helps the tr public trust us, and I totally agree, and that's why I want to see it regulated. Right. Um, but I almost felt like maybe she was implying that things go on that shouldn't happen. Um, and while I think that's definitely possible, I think that happens with regulated health professions as much as it. Of course, that happens. Else. That happens in every profession, right across the board, regulated or not. Yeah. And on top of that, there are unregulated provinces that seem to be doing okay. I mean, I don't live in one of them. I never have, but I'm just assuming, right? They've been they've been going at what they've been doing for so long without regulation. Huh? Mm -hmm. Interesting. I'm I've always curious because. Because I used to teach at a massage therapy school, and I did that for a long time. Anytime we had someone come in, like, I was always cool with the idea that, hey, you were a medical doctor in whatever country you were at before you were here, or you were a physio before, or whatever the case is. And But I've always worked with people that, like, oh, man, they would feel either really nervous teaching to that particular student who they feel might have a larger knowledge base than they do. So I was just kind of curious mm -hmm. if some of your instructors might feel that way about you. Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of parallels, and I think that anyone who's been out of school for, you know, 10 years, like a lot of the instructors, it's hard for them to always be on all the details like someone who's been out of school for only a year or two. For sure. And especially if they've been, you know, out of school, and then if they've been working in this environment for so long, they might not necessarily be in touch with everything that's going on because they might not have their hands dirty, you know, down in the trenches actually working in the field, at least to the same degree that, you know, you would or I would or somebody else, yeah. It's definitely a thing. So let's talk about some of the parallels then. So what what are the things in massage school you're like, man, I'm going to sleep through this because <laughs> I, I, I got this stuff down. And then what's the stuff that makes you go, holy shit, this is, this is something that uh, 
I haven't really thought about before, or I haven't seen it this way, or I haven't considered it like this. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I would say definitely parallels scope of practice. Um, we follow almost the exact same scope of practice as you guys. Some of the more details like public health. Public health was touched on in osteopathy, but it's very, very heavily focused. There's an entire course in massage, and I think that's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, some of those details... Um, you know, and while they are taught, like there's actually full examination, there's oral practical examination on that. And I think that's a good practice Mm -hmm. um, for massage. Not a lot of history in massage. Like we did a little bit of history. And like I said, it kind of roots back into all over the place for whoever offered this and whoever offered that. And that's great. Um, But osteopathy was very heavy. I read the founder's autobiography while I was in that school. I ended up writing an essay on the history of uh, how it came to Europe and his history and his influences on it as well. So Mm -hmm. there was a lot more influence on that. Can you give me a a little taste of the history? Because I have none of it. I don't know any of it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. a little bit here. Um, it was founded in, in the 1880s mm-hmm. um, by Dr. Andrew Still. Um, he was a son of a physician, and he was very, very, uh, how do I put this? Like, he loved God. Okay. <laughs> um, he was super into God, to the point where when you read his autobiography, you almost wonder if <laughs> there's something going on with him psychologically. He, he was a grave robber. He would dig people up and then study their bodies. And um, everyone thought that he was a kook um, because he hated allopathic medicine. He felt very strongly that pharmaceuticals were wrong um, and that they went against God and that our bodies would never be made without every immaculate piece of working that we had. And he ended up networking with a... um, mechanic who taught him about electricity and how, you know, a motor runs and electricity. And he applied that to our bodies and the nervous system. And he used that knowledge to then use treatment um, or to to give treatment. He had a lot of success. That being said, he also shook babies at that time. He also did a lot of things that were very controversial. So um, through these kind of, you know, mistakes, he also found a lot of good though. And he was also very influential because he was the only person that was able to cure some things that, you know, the doctors at the time were prescribing whiskey for. So they were, lots of people were dying by these things. So he was able to offer something new. Um, he made the first school in Missouri. He was in Missouri at that time. Um, and then I believe it was John Littlejohn who, uh, brought it over to Europe, um, and then we had a uh, gentleman, a French osteopath, bring it to Canada a few years later. Right on. Mm-hmm. So tell me the difference between, because the term osteopath gets thrown around a lot. And I know it means something really different in Ontario than it does, say, like in the United States. Um, so osteopath in Ontario is regulated by the College of Physicians and Doctors, um, meaning an osteopathic physician which by our definition has to be an American trained physician. Um, So osteopath, like you said, gets thrown around a lot and can be referred to for um, people who are just osteopathic manual practitioners. As osteopathic manual practitioners, we do not prescribe medication. We do not perform surgeries. However, osteopathic physicians do. They have the full eight-year physician training that a uh, medical doctor would have. So if you're an osteopath in the States, that would make you eligible to be a member of the College of Physicians and Surgeons in Ontario. Correct. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So that's the Yeah, because the term gets thrown around a lot, and I just want to make sure that everyone kind of gets it. And we do have a lot of um, listeners from the States. That way they can understand the difference in what we're speaking about here in Ontario compared to what 
we're seeing south of the border. So what do you plan on doing with this then when you're done with your RMT training? What do I plan on doing with this? Yeah. Um, I see myself pursuing osteopathy mainly. However, I think that this way I can offer that multidisciplinary approach within my own hands. Um, mm-hmm. I do refer out to massage therapists a lot um, because a lot of times people just need that extra time spent on uh, the soft tissue component. Um, I figure that I can offer them that if they have, you know, already developed that trust or that uh, therapeutic relationship with me, then they don't have to start over and I can also offer them that soft tissue work. All right. Tell me about you now. I want to know about you. There's there's something that typically makes you want to get into healthcare, mm-hmm. right? Or, you know, we all know that we want to help people. I mean, that's basically one of the core values that will exist from anyone that's involved in healthcare. It's definitely not the money because most massage therapists, most, you know, there are a handful of people that do super, super well, but most massage therapists don't make crazy amounts of dough. And from what I know of uh, DOMPs, there's not many of them that make crazy amounts of dough either. So I'm curious about you. What makes you say, I want to do this. I want to do this. Um, Natural health has been a big influence in my life for a long time. Um, And then healthcare in general, like you said, wanting to help people, um, wanting to be self-employed, wanting to be in a slower paced environment, but mostly wanting to be the person who kind of calls the shots. I found in a lot of jobs, just not being able to make the decision based on what I thought was right Mm -hmm. has been frustrating. Um, So developing a treatment plan, working with that client one-on-one to find out their goals and then to determine based on my clinical knowledge, what I think would be the best route for them, and then to offer them um, at-home care and different suggestions and referrals to meet their needs um, seemed like the most appropriate fit for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you say you're big on the idea of natural medicine, Mm -hmm. right, where's that coming from? Um, I mean, I I grew up in a household with a family that was very much... um, Are they tree huggers? Um, very much into natural health. Um, not so much the tree hugger path, but more, um, I didn't mean anything, uh, <laughs> but more like natural doctors and what they have to offer in alternative medicine. And, um, actually into my schooling, I became especially passionate about it because my dad to get into a little bit deep, but my dad was diagnosed with cancer and my dad was given basically a life sentence. And, um, he did a lot of research. Mm-hmm. Um, the cancer protocol in our country is basically chemotherapy and radiation. Um, He saw a naturopath. He went and hunted down a naturopath from the States um, and then had to get connected to Canada. And anyway, through these prescribed medication, he's going about double the expectancy so far. So, And this naturopath has people with his condition going for 10 years who are given one year. So natural medicine's huge. And I think that there's so much for it. Yeah. So you're a huge proponent of that, eh? Yeah. Especially seeing that. It's really cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what made you then, like, how come you didn't want to do naturopathic medicine? Naturopathic doctor? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, I already kind of started in that. Are you Um, still thinking of the idea? Like, hey. I wouldn't be against it. Yeah. I'm definitely very intrigued with that. But at the very least, I know that I can work alongside these people and I can, you know, benefit with them and I can network with them and I can hear more about, you know, ways that we can benefit patients together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So are you are you not a medication taker? Like I'm a pill taker mm. when I need something. Like <laughs> I, 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 I'm, that's just me. I mean, I was, I think I was brought up very differently than you were. I don't think. 
just based on what you're saying. I know I was. I'm older. I'm an old guy. <laughs> and um, yeah, this wasn't just something that came about in my household. It's like, anything wrong with you, go to the doctor. Your doctor's giving you a script for something. Take some pills and uh, cross your fingers and hope it does what it does and hope the side effects aren't overly horrible. But your story's a little different then. Yeah. I mean, my dad would say over and over as a kid, like the closer it is to God's green earth, the better it is for you. Wow. Right? <laughs> so, so I think I always had that. I am a pill taker and I, I will absolutely take a pill when, um, you know, my natural remedies haven't taken over. Um, but my first thing I reach for when I get a cold or a headache, is absolutely my, my lemon, my garlic, my almonds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I dig it. I dig it. So what else did you want to wrap about? Tell me something more. I guess a couple other things about osteopathy that I don't know if a lot of people know would be kind of the three main subdivisions. Um, a lot of times when we hear osteopathy, we know it's passive therapy. We know sort of what they're going to do, but I don't know if we realize the variance between practitioners and focuses. Osteopathy having musculoskeletal, visceral, and craniosacral uh, main subdivisions basically means that when you see a therapist, you, they might use all of those, but typically a therapist will focus on one of the three. Um, so I usually focus on musculoskeletal, um, and then you can find therapists who do focus more on the other uh, aspects as well. Talk to me about craniosacral, because I don't know hell of a lot about it and I'm really really interested I want to know more um, yeah it's a light touch um, the idea is that you're easing any issues within the central nervous system um, and reading the uh, primary respiratory mechanism and um, trying to balance that so it's believed that you can sort of use a very very light touch to manipulate the cranial bones mm -hmm. um, but really, you're kind of working more within the uh, the circulation of the cerebrospinal fluid and trying to help manipulate that. Um, you do a lot of listening. You do a lot of very gentle and um, paying attention to different unwinding. Um, you do even do some stuff. Uh, there is some stuff within the scope that's like sticking fingers and ears and listening to different things like that. So some of it does get criticism in the medical world. Like some of it's not, you know, as clinically based as some musculoskeletal therapy, um, mm -hmm. but the results. And when you talk to craniosacral therapists, there's a lot of people that go into it with no belief of it. And right. there's great results with it. So you're kind of saying like, yeah, evidence might be lacking, but subjectively we're seeing patients mm -hmm. rave about it or at least have positive results with it. Yeah. And I've even heard people with like autism and different things like that having results with it. So it's kind of fantastic in that way too. I dig in everything that you're telling me. So you know what I'm really curious about? I'm really curious about where you see the place of osteopathic manual practitioners in the realm of complementary alternative medicine. Like for example, massage therapists, for the most part, we used to be bottom rung. For the most part, I think it's, I think there's changes that are, that have happened. And I, I don't think we are the absolute bottom rung anymore. I think a lot more of the medical community is accepting of what we do and understand what we do. Um, evidence coming up supporting some of the things that we do a big part of uh, people that are massage therapists that are very heavy um, evidence-based practitioners they're very quick to say like hey can't make claims on things um they're really quick to say this is not founded in research and therefore it has no place and i think some of those ideas is what keeps RMTs kind of on the lower the lower end of things because there's a bunch of practitioners that subscribe to certain types of practices that are not really heavily based in evidence. 
But I'm really curious as to where you see manual osteo practitioners kind of sitting in this space. Yeah, um, I would say that osteopathy under its musculoskeletal realm falls very heavily based in um, evidence-based therapy. Under the craniosacral realm, I would say that there's studies that say that it's very effective and there's studies that say that it won't, back to it being a very subjectively appraised tool. I would say that personal experience um, weighs in very heavily on it. However, the, the philosophy being based on manipulations of the cranial bones, as current science says today... Um, that the cranial bones do not move. There's a lot of controversy around that. Um, visceral osteopathy, I would say, falls somewhere in the middle. Um, there seems to be a lot of subjective and objective evidence, and then maybe some objective against as well, um, but probably more objectively uh, sustainable, um, which involves more of massaging of the uh, viscera and um, based on, you know, just our scientific understanding of how body work works, um, you are bringing blood flow to that area and you are going to help bring nutrients to that area and help it to uh, heal better. Um, and I would say that we fall we fall somewhere in between massage and chiropractic. I don't know what rung I would say we fall on. Um, based on physios and different people that I talk to, it seems like we are getting a lot of respect, um, but not being regulated, it just depends. Some people think that we're very... A physio said to me about half of the osteopaths I meet are... Um, <laughs> are complete kooks and the other ones I agree with. <laughs> so, Did you take offense to that at all? <laughs> not at all. Because I think he meant I'm the one that he agrees with. So, <laughs> so that was okay. <laughs> yeah, because it would have been weird if that was the way of uh, that physio saying, you're a complete kook. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah, all right. That's that's pretty cool, man. Um, so before doing osteopathic manual practitioner work. Did you ever see an osteo? Um, just that student. Great results with that student or enough just to pique your interest? Or was it one of those things where you're like, I have no idea what the hell happened here and I want to go learn more? <laughs> um, just enough to pique my interest. Yeah. Because yeah. like I'll tell you, like when I went to massage school, guess what? Didn't know anything about massage therapy prior to going into massage yeah. school at all. <laughs> I was I was never into body work. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was really into... Uh, fitness. Um, I was doing a lot of musculoskeletal rehabilitation, but I had never, and I worked with massage therapists in clinic, but that was one thing I never, I just never thought of it at all. And then, you know, I talked about it in another podcast about how I ended up in massage school and it had nothing to do with anything about wanting to learn massage. It was really strange. So I was curious as to how many people go through what I went through. Uh, yeah, pretty similar. Yeah. Yeah. I like, like you said, like it piqued my interest and I kind of thought, you know what? This seems awesome and, you know, seems like it's really diverse and you can go a lot of ways with it. Mm -hmm. And Is there any other way you want to go with it? Anything differently? Any other, go with any, osteopathy? Yeah. Is there any other areas that you want to pursue with it than what we're doing now? Typically musculoskeletal stuff? Hmm. No, I really like the musculoskeletal. I just want to see it grow. Yeah. I just I would love to see there be like a massage addicts for osteopathy, you know, osteopathy addicts. And, um, what, what, what do you think would take to make it grow? Regulation. Regulation. That's what's kind of holding it back. And, and you know, time. And I think it's in its infancy and I think it's rapidly growing. And I think that just more people stepping in and treating it like a business, I guess, and a lot of more people having that mentality, right? I think it just takes uh, people to come together. I think that's a big thing is the unity of the practitioners mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. lacking. Tell me what you think about the education requirements. And I think this is another reason why massage therapy tends to be on the lower rung. In other words, who the hell can go to massage therapy school? Anybody. You can go there straight from high school. You can go there as a mature student and not not even have a high school diploma. I don't know what what uh, osteo school is like. Is it yeah. is it very similar in Ontario? Yes, it is. Yeah, same. yeah. 
they do a pre-health for you if you haven't had it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big reason. Like, for example, you want to be a physio, guess what? You, you got to have an undergrad degree, right? You want to be a chiropractor, you got to have an undergrad degree and then go do four years of chiropractic college. And I think that's another big reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think it's around the same for osteo. And I think that even worse with it not being regulated, right? Where they sit on the rung. But it depends who you talk to because some people, yeah, it seems have lower expectations and other people don't. I think for the most part, people who have seen osteos will speak very highly of them. Mm -hmm. What would you take from the osteo world and throw into the RMT world if you could? Which you can when you're done, but what in school are you sitting there going, no, no, it should be, I think this is a better way, or I think this should be here, or I... Listening techniques. Give me a little bit more about listening techniques because every osteo I talk to says that... We are about listening. Yeah. Um, Tell me more about this. Both in palpation and in joint play and in um, any kind of assessment, there's a big emphasis on paying very close attention to how the tissue is responding, to how the patient is responding, to how everything's moving. Um, I know that RMTs do do a little bit of joint play, um, but ours is very, very intuitive Mm -hmm. and very... Yeah, very based on what we're feeling and just comparing and um, trusting our instincts. There's a very big influence influence on just, you know, trust your abilities, know that you know what you're talking about and study the theory, study where everything's supposed to be, study the the normal and mm-hmm. compare it to what's not. Um, and that is absolutely presented in massage, um, but it's just very heavily emphasized. And I, I would love to see that more with massage. What about patient patient participation? Mm. Do you feel like that is more focused in osteopathy than it is in massage therapy? Or at least from what you know of massage therapy being in school now? Yeah, I would say from what I do know, yes. I would say patient participation. Um, Breath assist techniques are really big for us. Um, We often will ask the patient to take a deep breath while we do things. Um, We often do treatments fully clothed. um, So we usually do a lot of different uh, positions and side-lying positions. Um, So I guess diversity and then um, motion of like, like we might do a soft tissue technique and then bend the entire spine while we do it. Or if we're doing something with the cervical spine, we might um, stretch and rotate and do a lot of things like that, which Mm -hmm. I know you do as well. Mm -hmm. um, But But yeah, but but again, yeah, what we do sometimes is a little different. Or generally, as massage therapists that are taught certain things in school, if you don't go out and find other ways of doing it, then you're kind of just stuck in your little wheelhouse of what you do. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think a huge thing that, at least from every osteo that I've had a conversation with, is in terms of patient patient participation. I feel like. I don't want to say this because this is a podcast for massage therapists and I'm not putting everyone in the same same boat here, but the majority of people that I end up seeing because we do have a continuing education company, um, we do have a lot of osteos that come in, but most of them are RMTs and it's the patient communication and involvement. When I say involvement, in ter- like we had a physio on our podcast recently, his name is Walt Fritz and he does a lot of myofascial release stuff. And then I was asking him, tell, tell me some of the differences of what you do compared to like, you know, what an RMT might do with myofascial release. And he brought up something really, what I thought was really interesting. He said, if, if we were to be, I don't know, maybe he didn't say it like this. I'm probably butchering everything he said. I took it as, if, if you couldn't hear us and you were to see what my hands were doing and what someone else's hands were doing that was doing traditionally what 
Maya Fash release is all about. He says, our hands are probably doing the exact same thing. He said, everything for me is about the patient, patient's participation, patient's preference, and my communication with them. And sorry, Walt, if I butchered that. So, for example, when he's doing work on somebody, he will use language like, how does that feel to you? Does this feel familiar? Does this feel helpful? Does this feel like it's making things worse? Does this feel harmful? Versus if you were to say, take a look at someone who has doing myofascial work straight from RMT school, that type of communication isn't there. Even manually, we might be doing the same thing, but just through the communication, it kind of, it kind of illustrates a different intent. And then through that different intention and patient participation, we have a whole different result. And I feel like maybe osteopaths do that a little bit better than RMTs. How do you feel about that? Or would you say, I'm like, Mark, you're fucking off your rocker. (laughs) No, I'd say you're pretty close with that. Yeah. And just the emphasis on, like, I think assessment is definitely focused on in uh, RMT. But I think uh, I remember some of my instructors saying, you know, there is no difference between assessment and treatment. Um, And just in the sense that you are constantly assessing. Um, Whereas I think they almost break it up a little bit more in massage school where it's like, this is your assessment. Okay, now you know what to do to treat and do your treatment. Mm -hmm. And um, we are taught that you never stop assessing and that you are constantly definitely communicating with the patient and definitely just finding out about everything that might feel better or might feel worse or um, different ways that we can help enable their goals and help reach what we're doing for them. Yeah. Yeah. And just based on that, like, I feel like that is a big portion that should be injected into an RMT program. I think those types of components make a huge difference. And I understand why it's not there, to be honest with you. Um, uh, You can have the same type of curriculum in a massage therapy program from school to school to school to school, but the overall instruction is going to change depending on the person in front of you. And that's kind of the downside of it, right? Where your instructors can really dictate the type of therapist you're going to be at the beginning of your massage therapy career versus what you're doing because you already had a career doing body work and complementary alternative medicine you're able to kind of create your own philosophy about what's going on combining all these different worlds versus that fresh mind who's never been involved in healthcare it is now in, in a classroom in front of a teacher or an instructor who has a certain agenda or a certain narrative and now is injecting that into that particular person and when there are when it's all said and done it's almost like if that if that student doesn't really have it in them to do anything else or or go find other ways of doing things then all we've done is replicate the instructor yeah i really definitely agree with that and i think that um also diversity of instructors um, most people that do osteopathy do something else so some of my instructors were chiropractors some were physiotherapists some were massage therapists and all of them brought their different skill set and their different um initiatives to the table and their different philosophies to the table um whereas at massage school all of my instructors are massage therapists mm-hmm. and they all typically have similar opinions. Um, whereas it was interesting to be able to pull from a different, I guess, a smorgasbord of uh, opinions with yeah. the other school. I think that's a major downside of massage therapy education, at least with, at least what I've seen with private schools. Cause I only really know about private schools, private schools in Ontario. It's just like mas- mas- massage therapists teaching what their massage therapist teacher taught them what their massage therapist teacher taught them and it's just a big cycle that goes through 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right on. You're really insightful. I dig it. Totally. Thank you. (laughs) What are some of the major differences in school? We were talking off mic and uh, a thing that came up was talking about um, examinations and doing things like oral practical exams in school. And since you've now gone to both, Tell us what you think of the differences between the two. Yeah, um, I would say a big difference would be heavy emphasis on technique um, and practicing um, very, very frequently with uh, osteopathic school. It was a condensed course, um, but yeah, every single day was practice, whereas uh, massage school, we seem to have our massage therapy techniques course, and then that was it for practicing so far until we get into clinic. But the beginning of the program didn't consist too much of uh, actual hands-on work and a lot of theory. So big differences there being, I think, also volume of practitioners or volume of teachers. So there is a lot of teacher's assistants at osteopathic school. So you would often do techniques on the uh, on the teacher's assistants. They would tell you what they thought of it, and then they would also do it back on you so you knew how it felt. Mm-hmm. Um, in massage school, there's usually one person who's the model, and then we go out and practice, and then the teacher observes. Um, this is great, but it's definitely nice to have that hands-on approach and to really see how things feel and how, um, you know, to have that feedback on how you made the uh, the professional feel as well. Yeah, that's really important. I think it's imp- I I mean, it's one thing to watch a massage therapy treatment demonstration and then go back and try to, you know, replicate it or something along those lines. I mean, take the concepts and then and then and then work with that. But then to have the RMT instructor, you know, do work on you versus just that one particular person. At least you have an idea then of what things are supposed to feel like mm-hmm. versus what you think they might feel like based on just watching it. And then even that through the examination process, or not even the examination process, but just even through the practice. For example, like you said, it's typically like one RMT teacher there. Maybe they might have a TA, but for the most part, you're working on each other and your instructor doesn't really get to feel what what your skills set is like, right? Yeah. And that's that's a big difference then, eh? Yeah. And I definitely think that when it comes to grading the um, oral practical examinations, it's a lot of observational as well. Um, so I've definitely had people that I didn't necessarily think they were giving me great massages that, you know, score very well on these oral practicals. And I don't know if they're um, attention is being brought to ways that they can improve on the actual application portion of the uh, treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with osteopathy, it was almost grained into you that this needs to be the best and this and this and 50% of your caseload is probably going to be lumbar spine. So make sure you're really good at lumbar spine yeah, and yeah. Um, uh, yeah, performing it on each other, but also getting that feedback from the teachers. Yeah, as that's, well. that's really important. Mm-hmm. It's super, it's super important. And that's one thing that I would love to have massage therapy schools do a little bit differently. Uh, it, it, yeah, it just makes a big difference. It makes a huge difference. <laughs> yeah, cool. I agree. So you seem to be really happy with all the decisions you're making in terms of the steps you're going. Yeah, I definitely think that uh, passive body work is the way of the future. And I think that, you know, as the founder of osteopathy, uh, Andrew still would like, you know, it might overtake allopathic medicine in the future as well. It's hard to say, but um, if not, it's definitely a great alternative and a great way to get people not so reliant on things like opioids and uh, different things that have side effects and yeah, more, yeah, yeah. more invasive remedies. You were also, we were also wrapping off mic about some of the differences between, you know, similar types of body work. So the parallels between massage therapy and osteopathic manual practitioner work. What about chiropractic? Yeah. How does um, that parallel? Yeah. So we do share a lot of philosophical 
bounds with chiropractic. And actually, the founder of chiropractic was a student of the founder of osteopathy. So it's very much derived from that. And in the States and in Europe, we do, or osteopaths in those countries do practice those high velocity, low amplitude uh, uh, techniques. So those thrust techniques, those cracking techniques that chiropractors are so heavily founded on here in Canada. Um, but we as osteopathic manual practitioners do not practice those. So sometimes it can be a relief for people to not have to go through that, um, depending on what their ideal treatment is. Um, we do a lot of grade four mobilization. So I know massage therapists are taught this and it is within their scope of practice. Um, but it's very typical for us to do like grade four mobilization along the entire spine and along the ilium and the sacrum. And it's one way that we sort of uh, help to elongate the spine and help to restore it back to its more natural uh, condition. As working as an osteo, what would you say the percentage of patients that you saw wanted to see an osteo because of some sort of fear of chiropractic? Mm, um, Probably about 80% of my patients had never tried chiropractic and um, were not open to it um, when we talked about it. Is there a common denominator in their rationale for like, "Mm, chiro, no thanks? Yeah, it seems that um, some people are just turned off by the ideas of chiropractors. I don't know if it's misconception or what it is, um, but a lot of them don't seem to think that it's right for them. They seem to think it's aggressive. Um, whereas the general consensus of people for osteopathy is it's very gentle and it is. So they, they get to offer that very, uh, low risk kind of therapy as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cause I've, I, I always, I always hear people say like, I don't believe in chiropractic. I mean, I don't understand how you don't believe in it. Like it exists, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> but I don't believe in chiropractic. That is a, that is a line that I've heard so many times, especially, you know, when I'm dealing with a patient as an RMT or a kin and I might suggest like, Hey, you might want to see, you might want to go for chiropractic here. Yeah. And they're like, I know I don't believe in chiropractic. <laughs> and so I can imagine how that spills very easily onto your doorstep as an osteo. Yeah, well, a lot of people need joint work. Um, and whether they're willing to go to a chiropractor or not, um, and you know, definitely there's good and bad chiropractors. Um, but it's definitely nice for people who need joint work that kind of have that fear. I'm not saying it's necessarily always warranted, but it is a good alternative for them to be able to have that. Right on, right on. Is there anything else you want to enlighten us about? Um, No, I would say those would be the main things about osteopathy. Cool, cool. So who would you suggest see an osteo? Who would see an osteo? Like, Um, do I have to wait till something's wrong or that I'm showing signs and symptoms of stuff? Or is this something that I I should be building into my lifestyle or and making it part of a preventative plan? Who who, who should see an osteo? Well, an ounce of uh, uh, prevention is worth a pound of treatment. So definitely anybody who can, you know, do it for wellness or who, you know, would like to have those preemptive steps to better longevity, better life. Um, osteopathy is great for. I think osteopathy is really great in combination with massage. Um, So I think that somebody who's maybe getting massages and maybe wants that joint work, um, but maybe doesn't want to go the route of chiropractic, I think it's a really great alternative. Um, And osteopathy can be a really great all-inclusive. So since we also do offer soft tissue, depending on the um, osteopathic manual practitioner that you see, Mm -hmm. um, you may be able to get that nice, well-rounded treatments uh, just by going once a month or something rather than having to go to multiple practitioners. Right on. You're going to be a one-stop shop. Yeah, I'm hopefully. Looking, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> You're probably looking forward to it more than I am. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully. Nice, nice, nice. Are you worried about your licensing exam when it comes around or no? Um, Not too much. Uh, we'll have to see. It, it's all, uh, yeah, it's all kind of up in the air. Yeah, I, I don't think you'll have a problem with it. 
especially with the background you already have. Yeah. Right on, right on. Thanks for having me out here. This is awesome. I really appreciate you sitting down with us, sharing some light on a topic that I think not a lot of people know about. So this is a good thing. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Mark. Right on. You have been listening to Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. Peace.